When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 65 of The Roundtable. I'm Grant Brisby, here with Andy McCullough and Mark Carrig. Uh, Andy, let's start with you. There are two things that give Andy the ass, and the ass is baseballese for uh, just just being unreasonably angry and irritable. Uh, one is technology that doesn't work right, and the other is his cat. Uh, right now, Andy has some <laughs> serious technological issues with his computer and a cat that just jumped on his lap. Uh, nothing like, and the worst part about it is that when Andy has the ass, I think it's the funniest thing. I, I think it's <laughs> it's like airplane, naked gun, like Andy having the ass. Like those are like three pillars of comedy for me. Uh, how are you doing, Andy? I'm okay, Grant. I'm uh, trying to somehow meditate while doing a podcast, I guess. So uh, I may just sort of switch off to the Headspace app like midway through this while, you know, Mark is talking about some bullshit that happened in 2016 that he remembers, you know, like uh, you're making some, you know, reference to the meat puppets to explain a game you didn't watch. Like, yeah, I'm really I'm really excited. Uh, This is my cat, Harry, for the people who are watching on YouTube. Harry is uh, an exceedingly bad boy. Uh, he decided to uh, clock in at the uh, being bad factory right as we were recording. Um, and so he's got to get his shift in. And so he'll be here for uh, for a while. Morning, Sam. How are you guys? Morning, Ralph. Uh, I'm well. Mark, how you doing? Tell us about your animal, Grant. Oh, this is this is Piper. This is every time I use my podcast voice, oh. Piper hops on my lap. So like, you oh know, I my have a normal God. voice. And then it's, uh, well, I'm doing a podcast, and she comes and hops in my life. Won't have it any other way. So every time I do an episode, this dog's on my lap. I want the dog nap her. Yeah. No, she's cute. She's cute. Oh, my God. More of, oh, you're killing me. What's up, Pipes? What's up, Pipes? I want one. Mark, I'll give you my cat. I'll no, drive that's a hard this pass. cat. That's a hard pass. That's Jersey. the last thing I need in this house is more of that energy. All right. I got a five-year-old who bounces like off the walls. I got a, a almost two-year-old who is trending that direction. We really do not need to be adding Harry to that cauldron right now. <laughs> that would be a bad move. Bad move. 
Gary, say hello to the podcasters. All right. <laughs> don't do your cat dad voice on the pod. Sorry. That's oh, stuff, sorry. That's yeah. stuff that you don't say out loud. Kind of like when you think you should get pulled from a game. Segway into George Kirby. Was that silky Dude, smooth? That's We're going to so, talk George Kirby. That is so professional. That was like George Kirby. That right, was smooth. Man. Yeah, man. That was like George Gershwin. <laughs> I did buy a Space Age George Gershwin album. Uh, guitars this weekend. Anyways, no, no, sorry. All right, back, back, back. George Kirby, you guys were arguing in Slack before this episode. Uh, I believe Mark was doing a bit, and it was giving Andy the ass, which happens a lot, but Mark... Were you doing a bit? Okay, good. <laughs> He's nodding, Man, yes. That would have <laughs> sent a total me. bit. That really would have Oh, my me. God. I just wanted to see how you'd react, and I did it over Slack because you can't pick up any tone. So... You know, I just wanted to see what would happen. So explain the argument. You you were – explain what you were suggesting. Because this is an argument I've seen people make. Great. Actually, yeah, explain – yeah, yeah, yeah. Context, all that, yeah. George Kirby uh, gave up some runs in the sixth inning, the seventh inning, deep into the game, and then in the postgame said, you know what, I didn't really want to be back out there as at X number of pitches – I wish I wasn't out there for the seventh, to be honest. So I was at 90 pitches, and I didn't, I didn't think I needed to go anymore. But is that a conversation in the dugout, or is it probably a conversation soon? Which probably shouldn't say out loud. Like, even if you're thinking it, you, you probably, <laughs> you probably shouldn't. You know, just, just squash that. And maybe whisper it to someone on the side later. Um, so that's that's the context. So uh, Mark, take it away with how you were uh, giving Andy the ass. Well, I just basically took that and and trolled Andy as best I could. I, 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 you know, the whole thing about George Kirby saying this thing out loud is that it offends baseball people on like 158 different levels, right? And, and, I, and so in my Slack messages to Andy, I was trying to pretty much hit on all 158. Everything from, you know, uh, the, the lack of toughness that that displayed to, um, you know, what you're telling your teammates when you say that kind of stuff, um, to, you know, leaving yourself open and being questioned as far as your competitiveness. But I was taking the opposite side of it to Andy. I was basically saying, it's about time somebody had the courage to say this because how many pitchers have we lost because they couldn't stand up and tell their manager that seven innings is enough? <laughs> Once we get to 90 pitches, what, what is the point here? Okay, that how many UCLs did we lose needlessly for what? Toughness, <laughs> competitiveness. Oh, uh, that is that so what well. we did? Is that what we sacrificed all these elbows for what? <laughs> for what? It's useless. It's about damn time. George Kirby is a hero. Poor George. Anyway, this was the stuff I was Poor saying George, in Slack. Man. And of course, like Andy's like, is this a bit? And I didn't answer. <laughs> Because it was too damn funny. I was laughing so loud, my wife came in holding my son going, is everything okay? <laughs> She's on the other side of the house. I was laughing so hard, she had to come check on me. Anyway, that was it. The, to fill in the roundtable heads. That's how we got Andy all worked up last night. I guess it spilled over into today. today. So what are your honest feelings about George Kirby now? Bit off, mask off. It's about time somebody spoke up. No, I'm just, no, I'm just <laughs> it's just too easy. Like, no, man. Like, I, I am all for that thought. Actually, like, I think you, you know, asking the question if if you're the person being directly impacted by it, 
you know, you should do that as a player. You should. I don't know if the postgame presser after that is the right place to be saying that. I don't think that's the right. And it's also, I, I look at it like, man, what are you telling your teammates, man? Like, you, uh, that's not, it's, it's a terrible look. It kills me to see, like, to take the side of, like, the old school baseball people that have spent, like, you know, 48 hours dunking on this poor kid for saying something stupid, okay? But, but in this case, it's like, yeah, man, that's probably not something you should be sharing in that forum. If you have a, want to have a conversation with your manager, go do that. There's a hundred million of these conversations that nobody knows is going on. Fine. Go, go to the manager's office, say something, tell your pitching coach, whatever. But to do it publicly like that, oof, not a great look. I don't know. I mean, obviously, right, it's it's quote unquote a bad look, right? Like, you know, at face. But even if he has that conversation with his manager, right, you think the clubhouse doesn't know about it? You think his teammates aren't aware? No, you're right. You know, no, you're right. About it. So, you're right. so it's sort of like, look, if you're going to feel a couple things. One, it would take a lot for me to ever like publicly question a player's like toughness or whatever. And I, George Kirby does not deserve that sort of, it's incredibly hard physically, mentally, all that stuff to do what these guys do. And so I wouldn't suggest it's a lack of toughness. I think it's, it suggests a generational gap in how players are raised within the sport. Right. You're talking about a group of guys, you know, George Kirby, you know, came through the the college system. I believe there's a, a generation of pitchers, right. Who have been, you know, trained for a different thing than the generation before them. you know, like Justin Verlander and George Kirby were not brought up the same in the sport. And so, you know, there's, it's understandable, you know, if they might view 90 pitches somewhat differently, although, you know, Verlander kind of, is more modern and a lot, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Kershaw is not going on 150 pitches either. No one is at this point. Um, so I think it just, it sort of demonstrates just a, you know, you can describe it as a lowering expectations and increasing of optimization, you know, all that stuff. It was one of those quotes where you see it and you're like, Oh man, that poor kid, that's not going to play well. And like, to his credit, he came out the next day, owned it, you know, apologized. I don't even know if you necessarily need to apologize to like the public, you know, you need to just make sure it's okay with your team, but like, it probably affects his people who never heard of this young man before the other day, probably have an opinion of him. I don't think it really changes what anyone thinks in the industry about him per se, because this is what pitchers are trained to do now. And, like, I think that something has been lost in that. I think that, you know, the game is in a less interesting place because of that. But that's just, I mean, this is just a a symptom of how players are brought up. And, like, so I don't begrudge the kid for, I keep saying kid, he's a 25-year-old man, you know, this, this fellow for, you know, saying the quiet part loud. He's not the first pitcher who's ever been left in a game and thought like, what the heck, get me out of here. I mean, you know, poor Pedro Martinez has basically did that in a playoff game, you know, like it's a common feeling for pitchers to have. So in some ways I almost like want to go horseshoe theory and be like, good for this guy for just saying what was on his mind. I don't know. It's such a bad look, but you're kind of just like, ah. What else is there to say besides woof? Did my argument start to sway you if you're going horseshoe theory? Like you, I mean, my point was, is the game is worse because of this. <laughs> yeah. But it's not his, it's not his. No, fault. and like, look, let me, be, let me be clear. I, you know, we're joking around earlier, man. I don't, 
I do not question this guy's toughness. I think it takes a lot. I thought for that's me what you did, that. though. No, Didn't I just you? stop it. No, but they're going to start getting. Didn't confused. you say he needed to, to eat stop. less too? Oh my god, he had weight issues. Here we go. He, no, I did not. Kinda, no, you know, I did not. Had some. Yeah, I thought that's what you no. said. We're, this is not a Chaz McCormick discussion. So. <laughs> I got a text from Mark that pudding, says baby. "big boy pants." Like that's the term he used when he texted me. He said he needed to put. I said his... that. Yeah, it's on my phone oh right here. Oh my See? god, so old school. No, this guy. I don't. No. I, you're right, Andy. The question of the guy's toughness and all that is a bit ridiculous. Yeah, I think like, I'm more fascinated on. by the yeah. fact that like he pretty much violated every taboo. Uh, I mean, like he really did. Like and and it just he hit them all. He man. really he went across the bingo. Yahtzee, whatever you want to call it. Check, 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 check. All of it. So, and that's rare, actually. It's super rare that that happens in, in, in this very forward way. And so I guess what I'm saying is, you know, some of those taboos are dumb. They're outdated, all right? Like, they don't hold relevance anymore. I think some of it is just like, you know, people's response to it is habit. It's what we've been fed. If you watch sports, play sports, if sports are a part of your life. He like literally just challenged every single one of them. It seemed like so he did everything except for say, you know what, man, I play this game for fun. It was like I'd like to <laughs> win or lose. We just want to have fun. Like this, the only thing he left unchecked was that the results don't matter. He flopped the nut straight of taboos. Would you say, Andy? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was more like a straight flush of taboos. <laughs> it. I don't mean, part of it is that he said, part of it was that he said I already threw ninety pitches. If, he had, <laughs> if it had been hundred and ten, you know. <laughs> There's something about the poor, you know, you're just like, dude, he, I, I under you, how many times, you know, have you talked to a pitcher over the years where they'd be like, dude, that last inning, I was just, I was toast. Like I had, no, you know, it's it just, they don't, they're like, don't write that, you know? <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. You brought up Justin Verlander earlier. Uh, when do you think the, how old do you think he was the first time he heard third time through the order? The first time he heard that, like as a, as a point of concern, thirties probably. You know, I can probably apply it to someone who have you know to, to Kershaw, you know, because it's because I actually you know kind of have some understanding of this. I mean, it was the sort of thing that like in twenty thirteen, you know, twenty fourteen, like when the Dodgers talked about third time through the order with Clay Kershaw, they'd be like, well, that doesn't matter for him. Like that was the only context in which it was used, in which like doesn't it does not affect him. And there wasn't there wasn't discussion of like, hey, you're coming third time through the order. We might need want to get you out for several years beyond that. You're talking like ten years into his career. How old do you think George Kirby was when he heard it? Right. You know right. what I mean? Twelve. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just it's it's a part, it's ingrained, and you're thinking, you know, well, the kids these days aren't tough. It, no one's expecting them to throw 150 pitches. It doesn't happen anymore. Levon Hernandez is not walking through that door. And so it I, I don't blame him. It, you, you still say it. You just don't say it. I bet you there's a hundred silent George Kirby's out there, but there's there's one George Kirby who said it. And that's the that's the only reason we're talking about it. And it's not a toughness thing; it's just a, a decorum thing. And this is why you get a hundred different post game quotes of, "Well, you know, give one hundred and ten percent, get back on the horse." You know, it is what it is. That's why you get this because it's it's not good for us as consumers of of post game chatter or writers of post game chatter. But it's good for the player because they're not out there going like, "Yeah, this manager kind of showed my whole ass, and I don't like it." Uh, <laughs> You know, that's a great quote, but you don't say it. You know, this whole thing is red meat 
for the people who are just laying in wait to bitch and moan about the, those damn kids and their rap music <laughs> and their Jordans <laughs> and playing their TVs and phones too loud and, you know, uncut lawns. Like, you know, it's the kids these days, those little fuckers. Like, it's all these people that wait for that teenager to screw up. And they all come out, and it's a, then it's a slam dunk contest, and that's what this is, you know. And and I think it, you get lost in that noise because really, what are we talking about? It really is just a generational thing, you know. There's a young player who is, as to Grant's point, who's really good. This is how they were raised, man. And like, you know, things change. It's just what it is. Of the the, the major North American sports, there's one where the postseason, where the the playoffs are festooned with ads for boner pills. And it's baseball. And there's a reason for that. And it's because there are more of those people, more older demographics, and they're just waiting in the weeds to come out in a time like this. Yeah. And, and you know, everyone wants to blame the millennials. They want to blame Gen Z for all this. And you know whose fault it is? It's your fault. It's you two from Gen X. Because you're the ages of the okay. executives. That's okay. The executives. I'm not a Gen Xer, man. From Gen X. I do not really are the ones that. who did nope, this. Sorry. That's your that's that's Grant Brisby's. It's issue. them. They're the ones who changed it. It's not the players who changed. It's the people teaching the game who changed. Nice work, Grant. You identify as a millennial, Mark? Much more than than whatever you are. Dude, you are you are come on, Mark. Mark. I hold a steady job. You two are the- <laughs> And I don't pretend that I hate it all the time. You know, like, no, 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 don't give me this Wait, so shit. You're you going to start to piss me off. Stop it. Stop. Stop. I own my minute. house. Like, you know, I mean, I, I pay taxes. Oh, so what, what are you part of the baby boomer? Yeah. So you're a boomer then. Fine. I guess closer to that than like, you know, whatever Grant is. What do you, whatever Grant, I'm like a, <laughs> right in the border of Gen X millennial, but I'm, I'm on, I'm on the, on the Gen X I'm side. I'm on the border on the millennial side. You're How about that? You're both obviously Gen X. You're both oh obviously Oh my Gen God. X. These freaking kids these days, Grant, listen to this shit. Oh you know what? God. I don't even care. Yeah, I don't see? even care about see? this stuff, man. See, that, that's not me. That's whatever, the Gen Xers, man. dude, right there. Uh, I'll, figure, I'll figure Label it out. me what you want. Label me what you want, man. That's on you. That's your hang-up, bro. Where's your guitar? Where's your hacky sack? Like, see? <laughs> don't do that. I'm not that. That a boy. Wow, that is... There it is. Yeah. There it is. My wow. guitar is within reaching distance at all times. But yeah, blame the executives. Oh, You're right. As, as, as the only pro-labor pro- podcast in baseball, that's obviously the executives' fault. It's not like the, the athletes playing the sport are less you know like physically equipped or like you know have less mental fortitude. they're just trained differently they're not trained to play the game the way and like i do again i think there's been something lost with that yeah, I, I i agree i think that you have lost something that no pitchers are taught to aspire to finish games but that's the way of the world now you know what i mean like that's the way of baseball there's another half of that equation though and I agree with you, by the way. Let me just let me say that. Like, I think what, what you guys are saying, like, all the bullshit aside is, is spot on. But I think the side that's missing is, and this is what I think a lot of people miss. We talk about the sport as if it's not dynamic, as if the game they played in 1995 is the same game they're playing now. Who was throwing 103 in 1995? I mean, the, the game is different. And, and I think that is what's missing is that they have sold out for Velo. They have sold out for missing bats. This is the price you pay for it. 
There's an aesthetic price that you pay for it. There's sort of a cultural price that you pay for because that's what some of this is, is that like these things that we idealize in the sport no longer align with what we're asking the players to do. So, you know, and I, George Kirby's not the best example for this because he's not the first guy I think of, of like the fire breathing, miss every bat they can guy. That's not who I think of. But like, he's a product of a system that is just trying to produce those people. And so that is different from what this sport has ever been until this era. Therefore, any comparisons to what came before it, I think are woefully inaccurate and are in bad faith. What they're being asked to do is completely different Ergo, what, how they're going to train to do it is going to be completely different. And obviously that does not match up with the cultural side of the game, which obviously doesn't change very much. It's sort of one of the, one of the charms of baseball is that what we see is like that, you know, I, I guess for lack of a better word, toughness, competitiveness or whatever, has usually looked about the same throughout the sports history. Now it's different because this is so fundamentally different. Two things can be true at the same time. One is that it works. If you're going to build a phalanx of uh, guys who can throw 95 to 100 and you can slot them in and you've got 13 pitcher slots now, uh, it works. It works. It's effective. However, at the same time, something else can be true where it's kind of boring or it's not as cool as it used to be. It's aesthetically, you don't have that gunslinger walk into the mound and you know you're going to get you know, eight, nine innings and you're going to have to pull his carcass off the mound. And you know you, you miss that. You miss that a little bit. I uh, don't play baseball. You might be shocked to learn. But I do play uh, this nerdy video game called Slay the Spire. And it's a, a, like a card game, a deck building game. And there are ways to just like really just think about a decision for an hour. And there are YouTubers who do that. They'll hem and haw. And it's the way to play the game better. But it's boring as shit to watch. And so when I'm playing, I'm just letting it fly, letting it fly, letting it fly. And that to me is, is more fun. I don't know how this relates to baseball, but I had to get that off my chest. <laughs> okay so game seven of the uh 1964 world series right bob gibson is starting for the cardinals he pitches into the ninth inning they're leading seven to three. Second at bat of the ninth inning he gives up a home run fourth at bat of the ninth inning he gives up another home run he finishes the game and I remember reading that like in uh, in David Halberstam's October 64, maybe like 10 years ago. And even then I was like, why is he still in the game? Oh my gosh. Like, are the Cardinals going to lose? And it's just, we've been trained to like, yeah, I want the, you know, the two gunslingers, you know, going, going to battle on short rest. But like even Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling in game seven in 2001, they both came out after seven innings. You know, like the game, the game has changed. And I do think there has been something lost that the pitchers are not, you know, that they're, that they're, they're taught to go for velo. They're taught to, you know, try and miss bats rather than collect outs, you know, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. We've been, we've been potting for 20 minutes. I'm about to have. Well, let's just switch it to. Oh, that was funny. No, that was, it was a joke. I missed it. All right. Say it again. Go. Sorry, I kind of ran out of steam there. We've been potting for 20 minutes. I'm kind of past my Oh, yes. Look at this guy. Can you believe this freaking guy? Can you believe this millennial? (laughs) He's got a take count. (laughs) Unbelievable. He's he's hit his take take count. count. Can you believe this? You know, back in my day, we'd be doing takes until 7 o'clock tonight.
if he goes over 20 takes, like his his throat starts to swell, like it's awful. He That's might tear it. his uh, larynx. I've never said that word, larynx. There larynx. it is. Gen X podcasters like Carrig are taught to, you know, save their bullets. Like last week, where he didn't talk for the first 15 minutes. It was great. <laughs> Maybe that was two weeks Unbelievable. ago. Unbelievable. That's two weeks ago. I was in a bad mood. Anyway, like, look, here's the <laughs> other thing about these debates. Since we're going to let's let's do some more takes. I think what's also problematic about this, and this is no offense to poor George Kirby, but why are we comparing George Kirby to Bob Gibson, Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens? Like every argument that gets made, I'm just using that as an example, right? Like, yo, we're always holding up these exemplars that these were freaks of nature. Like you're talking about like literal freaks of nature. Anybody that pitched 10 years in the major leagues is a freak of nature. Right. And guess who comes out of the woodwork to dunk on poor George Kirby are all of these unicorns as if like what they did was just typical. It's not. Who was going after him? I, I saw that. I heard that there was a chorus, but like now that TweetDeck doesn't function for me, I really don't. I, I, I read a story that listed anymore. a bunch of dudes that like you would oh, man. pretty much expect Roger Clemens being one of them. Goose you know, Gossage? Oh, okay. I'm sure Goose is somewhere steaming about it. Did anyone ask David Wells about it? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, Boomer. <laughs> oh, 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 man. No, I don't think that's anything that came up in his wide-ranging comments about everything else. <laughs> Congrats to David Wells for winning the 2023 Goose Gossage Award for <laughs> guy who won't be invited back to Yankee camp. Boy, seriously. <laughs> Good grief. That's his last old-timers anyway. day, probably. <laughs> anyway. It's like a dog bites man story anyway so go to the baseball cafeteria you get to pick from a smorgasbord of like what you like about baseball your perfect aesthetic baseball game is it long guys going deep into games is it flame throwing closers is is it power is it speed that's like I, I think we've got enough time to just sort of like lay it on the line what do you actually want if you could create a, a, a league i miss variety I miss the fast guy leading off. I miss the contact guy hitting second. I miss like the big guys in the middle. (laughs) I I do. I remember this is how I learned the sport, right? This is how I learned the buckets of what kind of players you need to have on your club. I liked the fact that back in the day, it seemed like there was a bunch of varying skills that you had a rabbit playing center field, not Adam Duvall. All right. Like that, you know, and I look, that's fine. But all I'm saying is like, you know, we we've we have just lost any element of that variety. And it's just like stick him in there because they can like, you know, draw a walk or, or pop a ball out of the park. We don't give a shit if they can field or not. Like I I don't know. We're I, talking about gold glover Adam Duvall, right? <laughs> okay. No, he, what did Adam Duvall do know, to you? He's won a gold glove. I know, but like, okay, we know what the gold gloves represent. A lot of times it's offense. But anyway. You could tell that you're using that group, Grant. <laughs> Okay, so like I know you've written those fucking words before. Don't even give me that look. Like you have definitely ripped on the gold gloves in there. You hundred percent have. You have. Rafael Palmero, baby. See? Anyone who knows knows Rafael Palmero's gold glove. I miss that. You talk about ideal, what it looks like, how much fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah. When you get differences on the field, like I, dude, those Giants teams back in the day remind me of that, right? Like the same team that could have Kevin Mitchell and Jose Uribe on the same freaking lineup. And like they're both doing something useful for you. And Brett Butler is in that lineup with Robbie Thompson. And they're doing something useful for you. It's just very different. All right. Will Clark, useful, very different from like these guys. But that's what I want. And now today, 
it is everyone trying for the same thing. And I think that's what gets taken out of it. Like what what where the game loses something is that they're all trying to do the same thing the same way, by and large. And I think that's kind of boring. Do you think it's always going to be the answer is going to be always like the baseball from your youth? So the the youths of today in 20 years? Probably. Are like, I miss <laughs> like big hunky guys going for the dingers, you know? Probably. I think there's definitely that in this. And like that's, again, we talk about the cultural aspect of the sport. That's one of it, man. It's always better when you were a kid. Like, isn't it? Like, and I admit that freely. Like, that, of course I'm biased by that. That's how I grew up watching it. And it's a good question, though. I wonder, like, I mean, you would think that it would be the same. Like, the kids watching this now that fall in love with this sport, this is all they know. Counterpoint, though, is that basketball's, like, way better now. Like, no, like, I watch a game from 19. Is it? I mean, just like, I watch a game from 1980 on YouTube, and it's, whoa. Like, it's kind of a snooze, like, even, like, especially pre-Jordan, you know, like, uh, Magic Johnson was different. That's why he was, you know, the Showtime Lakers were, but it's it's different. I think basketball, uh, the three-pointers maybe a little bit too much, but, uh, or, okay, maybe I do miss a big old center, like a galoot, a 7-2 galoot. Yeah, come on, guys. man. You you love the idea right. of Greg Ostertag yeah. getting it in the post, like, you know, yeah, backing okay. someone right, down. Dude. Yeah. I mean, I went to a friend of mine invited me to the Nets Cavs game this year at Barclays, and the game was like psychotic. Like they were just racing up and down the floor, jacking threes. I was like, is this what basketball looks like now? He's like, well, you know, like these two teams specifically. I'm like, this is crazy. Like it was like watching Arena League football or something, you know? I think there's a variety in the game uh, when it comes to hitting still. I, I think. I think the problem is that I don't even know if there is a problem per se, like, but just, I, I think that the pitching is so good that it has flattened some of that in that, you know, the mediocre hitters get chewed up and spit out in a way that, you know, that is just, they, they miss, they don't put the ball in play. So there's just less excitement. I mean, you're talking about like, what, what sort of baseball do you want to see? Like, I still think the product's pretty good. I just kind of wish that, some of these incredible, you know, pitchers were like, were trained just a little bit differently, you know, to maybe throw a little, you know, like not as hard or, you know, not as heavy on every breaking ball and to go deeper. But I don't, but maybe that's just, you know, again, like mythologizing game seven of the 2001 World Series, you know, like who knows? Growing up, I remember if it was a 2-0 count, if someone dropped a curveball or a change-up in a 2-0 count, the announcers would comment on it like, whoa, there's a new science happening here. Wow, what's going on? That's a fastball count. And now every pitcher, every single pitcher can throw at least three different pitches confidently in a 3-0 count. It's just how it is now. It's And I think it's the pitchers are better. The pitchers are better. They're more skilled. They're more talented. But it's it, it's just like emblematic of how the game changes. And you can now have 12, 13-man staffs where you have guys who can throw harder than ever before, who can throw where they want generally, who can miss bats with all sorts of different pitches. And when you have that many guys, you're just going to get them in the game. It's, it's different now. That was the dumbest point I've ever made. Great. We have breaking news. The Stearns thing is finally going through. Is it really? Um, yeah, Mets are going to hire him. Be the president of baseball ops uh, in a move that no one saw coming last October. That'll be interesting, right, Mark? I'm sure you got some takes on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be super fascinating. Uh, obviously, Steve Cohen is focused on this guy and waited for him. 
Like he waited him out. Like so, I think um, this is obviously not surprising. This has been in the works for a long time. I'm always fascinated when somebody rises to the level where you're going to wait for him, that you're going to make some things happen to get him. I think that says a lot about like what what how he's viewed. Um, I think there's good reason for that. Obviously, we know what David Stearns did in Milwaukee. You know, those guys were a perennial playoff contender, which is hard to do. You know, there was a year where I think they 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 cut twenty five million dollars from their budget, and it was already pretty thin. And they and I feel like they were right in the mix again the next year, despite that. And so, I think there's been some resourcefulness and creativity shown there. I think another thing that that I've heard he's done well is manage up. All right. Like that's a big part of that job is like being able to manage up and, you know, he's going to have a challenge there. Right. Like this is Steve Cohen is, is going to have some demands like he wants things done a certain way. Um, obviously, he thinks he's going to get that in David Stern. So I guess we're going to find out. But, uh, you know, I think the, whether it works out or not, obviously, that's up to fate. But, you know, this is a really smart guy who it's not even just the baseball chops. Like he knows how to deal with people. I think that's a big deal, too. So I think it's a very good hire for them. The Brewers hired David Stearns in uh, in the fall of 2015, uh, as anyone who followed Evan Drellick on Twitter back then can remember, because he tweeted about it every single day, like five times a day. Do you know how many times the Brewers had made the postseason before 2015? Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, they won a pennant in 82. That's it. I, I, no, more oh, than wait, that. Oh, wait, then the Sabathia year, 08, Okay. And then was there one more, two more? Okay, it wasn't in the eighties. And and then let's see. Uh, Except for the one I just mentioned, they they won a pennant in the eighties. You got the fielder years. Two in the eighties. Two in the eighties. When the hell did they do it? It must have been early, right? The year before eighty-two. Okay. In like the in the weirds in the the strike strike season or not strike season split season yeah and then in twenty eleven. Wow, I just like bl- totally missed 11. I forgot all about that. Yeah, but four times, right? They made it yeah. four times. Started and obviously we're in a we're in an era of expanded postseasons, but they've they've made the playoffs like I believe uh, you know, almost every year besides that, you know, besides last year uh, when Stern stepped down. So like clearly, right, the fellow is doing something, right? They've won a lot of trades, uh, they've had some success in the draft, they've done a pretty good job of like sort of building offense out of platoons and things like that, you know, and now he's going to be given the keys to Steve Cohen's kingdom. You know, Cohen talked all along, right. Said, we want to be the East coast Dodgers. What did the Guggenheim group do? You know, two years into their reign, they brought in Andrew Friedman from Tampa Bay, you know, small market Maven. Billy Epler is going to stay on. It seems like, uh, you know, probably still is the general manager, but Stearns will be the decision maker. And um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, they're moving into this. They tried to do what the Dodgers did during that time, which was like shock and awe spending to get into contention. They didn't have the core of players the Dodgers uh, had back then. And so it was less effective, but yeah, now they're really going to, now we're going to see how far like Cohen's money can go, I guess. I would say that someone like Stearns, you're not necessarily going to see the changes on a transactional level. Like it's not, no, you're correct. not going to, you're not going to see the benefits. Like all of a sudden there's like, so wow, they, they traded for Ronald Acuna Jr. And all they had to give up was Brett Beatty. You know, like that's, <laughs> that, that's not the kind of genius that they're looking for. It's, it's going to be just behind the scenes organizationally. It's going to be the farm, the developmental side of things. That's what you're getting when you get someone from a small 
small market like Andrew Friedman or or Stearns, you're not getting him there because he's still going to be doing the, the owner says that he'll pay for Max Scherzer. I guess I'll sign him then. Like, okay, you know, twist my arm. Like, you know, anyone can do that. It's underneath uh, the floorboards is, is where you're going to really see the difference. We talk about, you know, sports executives a lot in the, from the framework of, of the moves they've made that we can see. But I think so much of it from having covered the sport is that, you know, it, it, it's also just sort of nitty-gritty management, right? Like, do, what kind of processes do you have in place? When, when a decision is made, you know, do you have, like, good, smart people weighing in? Or are you just, like, you know, throwing darts at a board? Like, what is it, right? Like, do people feel like they're empowered um, in an organization to make, you know, help make decisions and, and have their voices heard and all these things? And, you know, that's not, like, very, like, you know, sexy or things that you talk about. But... Those are the things that do lead to good moves that we do talk about is all that nitty gritty stuff. And so I think this is a test for somebody who, you know, he's coming into an organization where there's been a lot of change. It's a, you know, there, it, was, it didn't change for a long time. Now there's been a ton of it. The expectations have changed. The way they're viewed here is changed. There's a lot going on and he's going to have to go through there and kind of see, you know, like, all right, who of the folks who are here? are going to help with this next step and and where are the places where they've got to fix it where do they got to add some people or change the personnel and i'm not even talking about the guys in the field yet i'm talking about the people that are here trying to make decisions i think it's a lot of stuff he's going to have to confront and you know that's why you're seeing the timing of this hire now right going into like right to the beginning of the offseason that's when contracts are up you know within like you know the, the the parts of the organization like development and all that so that's where you're going to start to see some changes in pretty short order i think yeah, and also just like upgrading, like starting to win on the margins of the 40-man roster, right? I mean, that was like one of the most, you know, when Farhan Zaidi came into the Giants, right? Like that was kind of where he dedicated his time when when Zaidi and Friedman took over the Dodgers. Like they were, they didn't say like, oh, we need to get a number one starter. It's like we need to clean up spots 25 through 40 on our 40-man. And then we need to, you know, like, and I think that's one thing that, the Mets have been kind of significantly lacking in in this year is like quality depth. They had a lot of injuries, but they also were, you know, running out sub replacement level players in a lot of those spots. And so the idea is that someone like Stearns will be able to work the margins and improve that. I mean, that's kind of what teams like the Brewers have to do is that, you know, they may not have the top level talent, but, you know, one through 26, they have competent players, you know, like the, like the Rays, right? You think about the Rays. When was the last time the Rays put a bad baseball player on the field? <laughs> Right. Yeah, like every, you know, like, like they just, everyone can do something of, you know, kind of decent value so that another team can look at that player and be like, Oh, we could use that guy. Right. Like that's the sort of thing that, you know, the Mets, you, you're in part of what you're hiring starts for it's infrastructure, it's processes, it's all that stuff. It's, you know, you still have to like land the big free agents and get the best players. You don't want to get so deep into the, the process weeds that they're, you become kind of what the Yankees have become. But if you're able to hold both, sort of thoughts right that's how you create a juggernaut you know the way like the Dodgers are like the Dodgers are going to win 100 games this year and they're like totally screwed up yep you that's amazing it's amazing <laughs> he's right they, it's like, amazing you know what I mean like oh my god and that's like some of it as we've talked about ad nauseum some of it is you know uh, having Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman but a lot of it is organizational DNA and roster churn and the way they manage their pitching and you know all that stuff yeah, they made the right bets, man. Every time you sign somebody to a long-term deal, it's a massive bet. Dodgers made some pretty good ones there, those two guys. And and by the way, you talk about 
what the Mets are facing, and you talk about, and you mentioned the Rays. I mean, Robert Stevenson just kicked around, right? Like, is another one like this, and now all of a sudden he's this monster coming out of their bullpen, missing bats, and you know he's walking fewer dudes, he's striking out more dudes, and what? Because he changed uniforms and whatever they're like teaching those guys there took to him. So you know the Mets, that's the challenge that that they're facing. Exactly right. They they gotta start winning at the margins. Um, you know, I think it's also they've been long overdue for a good comprehensive look at all their systems and they just established a pitching lab and that's a big step but also you know the brewers did that how many years ago with stearns right so like there i think there are areas where they got to start figuring out where they're going to get ahead in certain places rather than just catching up and, that, and that's what i'll be curious about too is like what's the next frontier um, what is the thing they're going to be the early ado- adopters on because i think that's that's also where you look at where the resources could go, that Steve Cohen's money could be used really well. It's that. Finding the place to, to seize an advantage before most others do. Do you think there's a way to get the Mets interesting by next year? Do you think one offseason can get this Mets um, back to where you care about them next September? I think so. I mean, that's a rhetorical uh, question. I, think I that don't, but I'm interested. What, what, why? I'm curious, Grant. What makes you bullish on that? Not necessarily bullish. It's just that they have, uh, you know, they have more talent than I think we give them credit for. Maybe they they trade Pete Alonso. Maybe they don't. Uh, but they've got uh, Brandon Nimmo. They still got Senga. They've got pieces, and I get that Brett Beatty hasn't been all that just yet. They have pieces. I'm just interested in them. I don't think Jeff McNeil uh, is cooked just yet. He's only 31. Uh, just stuff, you know, just a few things here and there, and I wonder if there's a way to get them interesting a year from now. What's that? Uh, I don't know. It was something like one manager leaves in his uh, leaves like a, a note in his desk, you know, that says like "blame me" or something like that uh, for the next manager to find. I was trying to figure out a way to make a joke about Heim Bloom trading Mookie Betts and then the Mets trading Pete Alonso, but I don't know. I think trading Alonzo would be interesting. I think it's something you really have to consider, and it would drive the fans bonkers. And I think that's a tough thing for a new fella being brought in to have to uh, be the face of. But I think it's, from a baseball perspective, it makes a lot of sense to trade him, I think. I think that's a terrible point to bring up in minute 44 of a 45-minute podcast because (laughs) we could do a whole episode on Alonzo. Can't go beyond 45 minutes? Well, what, you raised in the Mariners oh system my God. or something? Here I've go. got a minute count. I've got a minute count. <laughs> Speaking of George... <laughs> so, George Kirby, I didn't mention this the whole time we are talking about George Kirby. Do you know the song Kirby by Aesop Rock? No. It's a, it's a song about his cat. So, you definitely check it out. But it's it's got a hook, and it's, uh, hey, Kirby, what you doing, Kirby? So, every time I see George Kirby's name... I'm just going, George Kirby, what you doing? I had to get that out there. That's what you bring up 45 minutes into a podcast. Why are you shaking your head, Mark? It's rap. It's hip hop. Yeah, you you wouldn't too know, good Mark. for that? I'm just saying, you, you're, you're the you. first Gen Xer that wants to actually do more work by continuing to pod. That's like amazing. <laughs> I, I didn't know that was within the rules for you guys. Anyway. See, Mark, you know how I know that you're a Gen Xer, Mark? All millennials view Gen X as like, they're like poser boomers, right? Like they act like, oh, I'm cool. Like Ethan Hawke taught me everything I know. But they act the same way the boomers do now because they've become that age. 
you're showing your ass by still being like, well, Gen X doesn't want to work. That's what I was always taught. It's like, yeah, because you were in Gen X and you grew up hearing that. <laughs> That's too much to unpack. I believe you. Sure. I mean, in 20 Just... years, millennials will be the same way. We'll, we'll be like, oh, no, like, you know, it's all Olivia Rodrigo's fault or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this has gone off the rails, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this has been episode 65 of the Roundtable. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll talk about baseball because that's what we do. Uh, Andy, go listen to Aesop Rock rap about his cat. It's a delightful song. The whole family knows it here. We, we all <laughs> sing it in car rides. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Gary, say hello to the podcasters. All right. <laughs>